Welcome to the MLHS podcast. My name's Ian, as always. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. Joining us today is someone that used to host a hockey podcast with me, and she continues to host the Staff and Graph podcast. We have Rachel Dory joining us today. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing well. We are back. We're recording on time. Things are cooking. I love it. Life's good right now. We, Me and Anthony haven't recorded in a month. In August, there isn't exactly a lot to talk about. So I think we did the reasonable thing and went outside, saw some friends, did some stuff. I got some I got severely sunburned anytime I go outside. So I'm back inside for the next few months. I got to think to watch some hockey. So you got an Apple watch. Yeah, of course. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Here. OK, yeah. I'm so happy that you finally did that. <laughs> got to be able to track my heart rate when I watch Leafs games. It's going to tell me that I've had a cardiac event. I can't wait. Oh, yes, that happened to me. <laughs> that happened to you during the playoffs. I remember that distinctly. Yes. Anthony, how you been the last month or so? Buddy? Which game? Which game did that happen to you with? Game one of the playoffs a couple of years back? It was game one of 2019. It was the first hockey game I'd watched since leaving New Jersey. And it was when the Leafs scored the first goal. And I was amped. And her watch thought that she'd taken a serious fall and asked her if she wanted to contact 911. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now I actually have like a proper heart monitor thing because I have like heart issues. So now I actually have a thing that's like, hey, your heart rate is too high. Like, get it together. It's a good thing you live in Toronto and you cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's really good for a heart condition, I hear. Good okay, thing now that the heart emotional- condition has been revealed... That's not as funny of a story, Ian. I don't know why you're laughing at it. <laughs> I've known it, no, it is too long. I've known about this for a while. I make jokes. I'm sorry. So heart conditions are funny now because <laughs> you've known her? No, it's funny because I literally do things that actively make it worse. And honestly, I'm like such an emotionless lizard when it comes to hockey now that like the leaves, like it didn't even phase me when they lost this year because I was like, yeah, whatever. And meanwhile, like my podcast co-host is like falling apart at the seams and dressing up as the Joker. Yeah, poor Mikey. I mean, you Downtown you had to know it was over after game six, right? Like I think most of us in our hearts. Knew. I actually knew it was over after game five. And you sure I about that? Did it. you? Well, my betting account says I did. I felt bad at, about pretty much watching the first period of game six because I... I kind of in my heart wanted like I was like, they'll regroup, like they'll figure it out. They, you know, they came back in game five and then the first period of game six happened. And I was like, what the hell's going on right now? I'm really upset right now. Can we talk about something else? Can we transition here and, well, and talk about some things heading yeah. into the Leafs season? I don't here? need to like reach. <laughs> I actually think there's a bigger topic there, which is like, are we ever going to get over that at any point over the next like five months before playoffs start? No. People so, like, okay, I have friends that are not over game seven in 2013. Yeah. Game seven, 2013 was later. far more traumatizing to me than anything that's happened since. See, I was, so I was a Leaf fan at that point, like an actual Leaf fan. And I was dating a Bruins fan. As opposed to a fake Leaf fan now? <sighs> well, now I just like, don't care. I care more about players than I do about teams. That's so like basketball and football too. Yeah. Right. It's just like, I guess like working in hockey, like you see how the, the, and this goes for anything, like you see how the sausage is made and you just learn to like, not care about team success that isn't outside of like you keeping your job, but you meet people and and you cheer for them to succeed. So like, obviously me being the president of the Damon Severson fan club, like I want to see him do well. I want to see Nico Heischer do well. I want to see Tim Stutzla do well. I want Matt Barzell, like there are guys that I know I want, I want Connor McDavid to do well. Like you cheer more for individuals to have success because it's easier to cheer for that and less heartbreaking than if a team, right? Like it's easy for me to cheer for Morgan Riley to have personal success than it is to cheer for the Leafs. Cause I know he could have a good year and I can be happy about that. And I know that the Leafs are going to get, shit kicked in the playoffs and i don't have to worry about that 
kind of thing. Cause I actually thought he was absolutely fantastic in the playoffs, especially after Jake Muzzin went down. Like I thought he was really good kind of throughout that whole series driving play, but like just a fact, like he was really good. So he was someone I wanted to bring up because over the off season, we all saw the defense market. If you were trying to trade what was considered a top pairing defenseman in the NHL, you got a lot for it and they got a lot of money and the Leafs chose not to explore trade options for Morgan Riley. They didn't sign him to a contract extension. They're going into this season with things a little bit up in the air. It looks like they might let him walk as an own rental again this offseason, much like they have with Zach Hyman and James Van Riemsdyk and a lot of other players. I'm curious what your opinion is on the Morgan Riley saga this offseason, because I'm sure my opinion on him is somewhat clear by now and that I I thought that he's overvalued on the market and that cashing in on him at the opportune moment might have been the best play to make. But I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I know you're really high in the player. Yeah. So listen, if you can get a package and I've, I've spoken to quite a few people in hockey and like the sentiment is that Morgan Riley, if he's not as good as Seth Jones uh, or like better then like they're at least within the same category, sort of you pick a different other. player. Cause he's pretty controversial analytics versus eye test. I know. But what I mean is if you Value. look at the package that yeah. Seth Jones went for, if you can get that for Morgan Riley, then like you absolutely trade him. Like, I don't even think you could debate that. And like, you're talking to someone who like, I have a Morgan Riley Jersey and I like, I know the guy. And so for me, but if you can get, and I know he loves playing in Toronto. If you can get that level of package for Morgan Riley, you trade him. However, the flip side of that is if you can't, you cannot trade him for the sake of just trading him. You have to get value for him. And so there's that. I think if that was available for Morgan Riley, then I think they probably would have at least looked hard at it. The other thing I know is that the Leafs and Morgan Riley's agent haven't so much as talked in the entire month of August. See, so I not only hasn't there not been I don't, like, I don't get that at all. And yeah, that's like, to me, that's absolutely unacceptable. It's, it's crazy because like you have your best defenseman in since probably Thomas Coverley potentially going into his UFA year and you don't even talk to him. Like, come on. There needs to be at least like a, Hey, what are your preliminary thoughts? I have heard from like multiple credible people that there has been no contact in terms of a contract and or just to even like feel each other out. And to me, like, that's a huge error. I don't see him as Toronto's best defenseman. I think Jake Muzzin's Toronto's best defenseman, especially at five on five. And I'm talking about like over the last like number of years, like Jake Muzzin's only been here for two years. You can't say that like in his, is Jake Muzzin a better defenseman? Probably potent, like you can have that discussion, but like he's only been here for two years. Whereas Morgan Riley has been here for like almost 10. You're going longevity. Exactly. Like this is the most long-standing, like contributing defenseman the Leafs have had since Thomas Calverley. Right now, if Jake Muzzin is here for the entirety of his contract, I think potentially he probably surpasses Morgan Riley. Although, I mean, age curves, we kind of know how that works. But what I'm saying is, is like when you look at value to the franchise and what he's meant to the franchise, had the Leafs not gotten John Tavares, you're probably talking about this guy being he's the captain of the Leafs. And he was facing and top so, comp with some of the worst partners you could possibly pair him with, whether exactly. it was Hunwick, Zaitsev, Hainsey. The list goes on. Like literally just great. boat anchors. So I think like honestly, it was a huge mistake to not even have preliminary talks with uh his agent. Um, although like he seems kind of like the type of guy that wants it to get done quickly. And so I think if there's a contract to be done, it could be done during training camp because I don't think like he's not the pulling teeth kind of guy like that's just not his personality um and so I could see like if he if him and the Leafs can agree to something and say like okay we both want to make something work I think it could get done pretty quickly but to me like not even talking to him is totally inexcusable so so to me I think the debate at this point kind of goes beyond whether you think he's a good player and it's just I think they've done a shitty job of asset management to put it nicely and that's the nice way of putting it because yeah like you said i don't think he's a nickel and dimer i don't think he's gonna fight for every single cent that he could get i think if there's a fair deal on the table 
he looks to me like the kind of guy that would take that. So they have He'd a actually little take less, right? Like they have a little bit of saving grace there. But if not, he could totally like put like put them over a barrel at this point. Like they waited oh, yeah. all off season. They waited like honestly, the second that he wasn't signed after the draft, and then free agency, like. He holds all the leverage. Then and there, you're like, okay, he's going to be a leaf till the end of the season, and then probably walks in free agency. So I want to read this quote because he did he did sort of address this, and I I wasn't really a fan, but this was from Kyle Dubas. He said, "With where the cap is, if you want to be a competitive team and you want to contend, every contending team last year has lost a number of core players that were free agents. I think you are going to see more and more of that because you can't just extend the players." and hope you can figure the cap stuff out later if the cap isn't going to go anywhere. I think you are going to see a lot more guys playing out their UFA seasons. And I just, I'm not buying it after you just lost Zach Hyman for free. I'm so, like, I think and you get one of those. Yeah, I think you get one off season of that. I don't think you get back-to-back off seasons of that happening. But at the same time, I think he's sitting there and going, if we don't like go anywhere this year, I'm losing my job. And I just, I like Boakfast. And I think the package that Columbus got for Jones was like quite literally insane, let alone the price that oh, they overpaid. Then paid. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I think he, I think let's say that exact deal was on the table for Riley. I think oh. Dubas would sit there and say, Boakfast isn't helping me this year. Like he's not helping me keep my job this year. If that deal's on the table for Morgan Riley, I know Kyle Dubas well enough to know that deal gets taken. Yeah, I no, hope so. No, but no, he no. hasn't shopped any deals. <laughs> like he hasn't done anything basically with this. But guy. that was never once. So essentially, like the, from what I gather, the story goes basically once Chicago figured out and Columbus figured out that that was where Seth Jones wanted to go. Everybody stopped talking to everybody else. So like any deal Chicago was working on with other teams, they basically like said, you got to wait until we figure out Seth Jones. We are not even speaking to anybody else. And Adam Boquist was not on the table until like very late in the deal. And so that deal would never even have been in discussion with the Leafs. Like I wouldn't, I'm not even sure that, Morgan Riley was even mentioned to Chicago and certainly Adam Boquist would have never been brought up. Philosophically, the way that Dubas looks at this is if you're a contending team and you have, let's use the 5% theory, you have at least a 5% chance of winning a Stanley cup, which he would argue the Leafs have over the last few years, even though they haven't gotten out of the first round, the talent on their roster would suggest that this is a team that should be contending. If you're a true contender, should you be trading a player before their UFA deal expires? Or should you be milking every ounce of hockey you can get out of a player in their prime? Because we know that players prime is from about 21 through 26. And then you hit UFA at 27, 28. So realistically, I can see his perspective. You're just thinking, get the most out of this guy. And then when he walks in free agency, he walks. But you're looking at it from an asset management standpoint. And you're thinking in the long run, is this the best way to run a team? Anthony, where do you fall on this? I, th- I think, okay, I think the, the own rental thing happened because of Lou with JVR at the time. And to be honest, I still think they should have traded JVR that year. And I know he went on a heater after they didn't trade him and that probably helped them make the playoffs. I but... remember Dubas saying that anyone who thought they should have traded JVR at the deadline has clearly never worked in hockey. I distinctly remember that because I, I felt like he was they... subtweeting me with that. They might have lost him for free, but at the end of the day, that contract is abhorrent. Awful. And you would never want that if you were the Leafs. You know he's going to walk because you know he's going to get a shit ton of money that he frankly was not worth. So I like to me, the concept of own rental has two sides. You look at asset management. If you are Tampa Bay and you have playoff success, but you haven't won yet. If somebody extremely important was a rental to them, I would be keeping them as an own rental because you know you have a shot at the cup. Where the asset management is poor, where the Leafs are concerned, is not with the own rentals, in my opinion. And in some of like the models that I've been kind of working on and, and research that I've been doing, the asset management isn't poor with the own rentals. It's actually been not bad considering the contracts that were signed afterwards. You look at Bozak's deal, it was fucking terrible. Um, like, 
you you can't really say I like I don't even like the Hyman deal, quite frankly. But where the asset management goes awry, where Toronto is concerned, is the money they have tied up in a certain couple of forwards. No, I think to that point though, my bigger concern was or is it's not about the money that was signed for after. Cause I don't think the Leafs were going to be players for most of those guys other than Hyman, who I do think that like they did want to keep him obviously, but they were hoping for like a, you know, eight year, $40 million. Keep and they needed to play now. him on the third line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But I, but when you, let's say you got a second for JVR and a second for Bozak, I think you probably could have got a late first for JVR, but I'll be nice. That right stacks up though over the years. Where Morgan Riley is concerned. If you trade him, with the assets that you get back, I'm telling you, if Jake Muzzin happens to get hurt, which, I mean, it can happen. Well, it's happened the last two postseasons. Two years in a row. Right. The Leafs will not make the playoffs. And you just and- can't have that. The Leafs, they are, because of where Matthews and Marner and Nylander are in their age, this is the contending window. And so and if you're going to do own rentals this is the time to do it the time to do own rentals was not when jvr and bozak were there so i understand that the time to do own rentals right now like it is right now and no matter what you trade for morgan riley you are not going to get a better defenseman back if you look at what detroit is doing steve eisenman just traded anthony mantha and a couple of other guys because they didn't match with detroit's contending window and he got guys that do match Nadelkovich, Jacob Verana will be sort of towards the end when the young guys are coming in and going into their contending window. And so he realizes, okay, they don't fit with the contending window. They got to go. But if you fit with a contending window, you are staying unless you walk. And like the reality is, is Morgan Riley fits with the contending window. And he's so important. Like the Leafs can lose one of the top four forwards for an extended period of time and still make the playoffs because they have enough firepower. There is not enough depth on the back end for them to lose Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin. I think the Leafs roster construction is kind of flipped in the last few years, because if you look you, at their defense when healthy, their top four defensemen are really good. They have Jake Muzzin and TJ Brody who are excellent at five on five Morgan Riley, as much I as said. I get frustrated. I know, but my point is <laughs> I don't like their forward depth. I do like their defensive depth. That's my point. Okay, but you, the Leafs, like, what I'm saying is, is you have four absolute stars up front. So if one goes down, they're so much better than other people in the division's players that they can compensate and still be good enough to manage, right? Whereas on defense, you really only have three good defensemen. Because Rasmus Sandin, everyone sees potential, but until you actually play credible top four minutes on a consistent basis, it is completely unfair to the player to say he can play that role because we saw what happened with Travis Dermott and it put all these expectations on him and he fell through the floor. Oh, we're big mistaking Travis Dermott now. We're saying that he made one mistake in overtime, so he's a bad player. No, but I'm saying like they put him in a top four role and he didn't have the success that everybody thought he could. So I think it's unfair yeah. to Rasmus Sandin to say, oh, if Riley and Muzzin go out, Sandin can just step in. Because like, let's keep in mind that like Justin Hall is propped up by the other three defensemen. And if mostly Jake two of those are, yeah, two of those are gone, then not only do you not have propped up Justin Hall, then you're missing riley and muzzin and now you're down three or two and a half defensemen basically and and so that's where the trouble runs in is toronto has enough superstar talent to compensate up front they do not have enough star talent on the back end to compensate for losing a star after after the the best after the the high-end players so on toronto's blue line let's say there's three between muzzin brody and riley at forward matthews marner nylander tavares the drop-off from that at forward is so stark. Who's the next best player there? Kerfoot? Mikheyev? Mm-hmm. Probably Kasse if he's actually healthy. But he I would actually, yeah, I would say Andre Kasha. Oh, I, you know how much I yeah. love Andre Kasha. I just don't count on him to yeah. be healthy when it matters. I apologize for pronouncing his name wrong. I'll just probably no, never get it right, right, but I no. try my best. But I do want to kind of close the loop on your point about Riley. I I think you're right in the sense that 
like you're right they can't just lose him and then just like oh cool we have these young left-handed defensemen like we're all good like that's that's fairy tale that's that's nhl 2022 play video yeah. game that's that's what that is but the 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 thing is is like in a vacuum you're right like they got to keep riley they're trying to contend this year dubis is getting fired if if they go nowhere again et cetera, et cetera. the frustration is this is like they've been bleeding credible players for free and free agency and i know every team does it to some that degree happens. but like the level to which like they've had almost nothing like honestly i would have been happy if they cut if they traded tyson berry for a fourth round pick just because he sucked and i couldn't watch him in a leafs jersey <laughs> like just yeah. literally like we're gonna lose him for free he stinks let's just trade him now and move on with our lives like there's a very like <laughs> simple I, I don't want to say simple solution to all of this that would allow the Leafs to keep Morgan Riley and some people want to talk about it some people don't I am loath to talk about it because it drives me they're not going to trade Marner so let's just skip that part of the podcast exactly they're not going to do it but if you just if you look at not even just Marner but any of them if you trade one of them you, you're going to get assets back that are probably going to help the depth of your lineup and you're going to get salary cap space. I truly think that not only will Dubas probably lose his job if the Leafs don't go somewhere this year, if they do not make the second round, one, if not two of them, are gone next summer. So I think it could be players two. The core? Um, yeah. So I have I a very weird feeling about the stars in the sense that like, honestly, it, maybe it's dumb. I don't know. In my heart, like it's literally insane to think that they won't string together a good playoffs and go on a run at some point. Like you have four really good players to think that like, it doesn't just click one year and they go on a run is kind of crazy. Like they're like, they're so talented, but at the same time, if it doesn't happen, at some point, you're just going to reflect, get, right? You're going to reflect and be like, well, they literally did the same I, thing year after year. I learned this in New Jersey. It, was, it might be one of the biggest things I learned. And it wasn't, it's from someone I still keep in touch with. It's someone I have a, a lot of respect for. Um, the playoffs are a different animal. Like, yeah, it's they, a completely different sport. They're, they're called differently. And he called this in 2018 when i was there he said the leafs those players are not playoff players john tavares is a playoff player but the other three their game almost completely disappears in the playoffs and i didn't want to believe him but then i started watching with the lens that he kind of told me to watch with and he was absolutely right i see it every year now in the playoffs and i can't unsee it and then he goes watch with the same lens and watch how Braden point plays it completely changes the style of the game changes in the playoffs and they don't adapt they recede and you can't have the way he said it to me was you cannot have more than two contributing players on your playoff roster forward or defenseman that do that in the playoffs the leafs have three like yeah, a minimum that's... of three of them and they make $30 million. <laughs> like, I think Matthews will get there. I think he showed I do too. flashes I think he's of the it. closest. And I think Nylander yeah. is second. Cause I actually saw. Yeah. So we were, him and I were actually having this conversation. And after Tavares went down, he said to me, he goes, after JT went down, I thought Nylander was the best, best one of the three. Like he was, he was the he most actually dynamic took strides sure. towards being a player that can succeed in the playoffs. And if he keeps doing that, then he's going to be a problem. And so that was super interesting because Nylander obviously has this like whole narrative around him. But I thought that he was, if you go back and you watch Nylander this past playoffs versus Nylander, the playoffs, like before this past playoffs, it's a different player. It's a completely yeah. different player. So I thought that like any criticism of him was completely unfair because I, he was the Leafs best forward after JT went down, like creating scoring absolute menace all over the puck. Like 
I thought he was fantastic, and he took that stride to actually being a playoff player. We had Freeman a few on. others left quite a bit to be desired. We we had Elliot Friedman on after that after that game seven exit, and he shared an interesting comment from Habs players where they said they were impressed with Nylander's ability to initiate physicality, and the last sort of step was like actually like a little bit of sacrifice of like taking hits more and going into areas where he might get a little bit of extra abuse. Like that's the part that is probably next for him. Like he actually did throw a number of hits. He actually did use his body a number of times. The next step is just a little bit more of that quote unquote playoff sacrifice. But you're right. A guy like Braden point is super aggressive, super heavy on a stick super detailed about you know not losing battles and like picking always out in the spots. middle of the ice yeah and i think matthews is getting there he's shown flashes i think the one of the biggest things that kind of bothered me of that exit afterwards is and i forget the exact question but they talked about like potentially one of him or marner needing to like leave or, or marner in particular and he kind of like laughed it off and it was kind of like a good luck with that and i was sitting there going like these guys think they're untouchable and they haven't done exactly. shit here. And that mentality is just so toxic. It's a problem. It's a okay. huge problem. I need to push back here. I need to push back. Okay. So Patrick Kane has won multiple con Smythes. I've never seen He's him backtrack. Sick. I've never seen him go hard into a puck battle. He's just really good at hockey. He's just talented. He also scored a Stanley Cup winning yeah. goal. Yeah. He can also yeah, shoot my, the puck, like just straight the up. Point, like, Ian, Ian, here, the point like, is the point is not like that they're bad players. The point is when the shit is on the line, Patrick Kane shows up. Like, yeah. he does, like, he was Chicago's I, best player in at least one, if not two of those runs. And you can't say that yeah. about Matthews or Marner. Oh, I'm well aware. I've watched this, all those games. And Kane was like instantly I, unreal in the playoffs. Like he didn't, he wasn't and, like shit like for like four years. Uh, Minor against Boston in 2018. Nylander against okay, so Washington his first one year. Series. Hang on. Ian, you and I have had this conversation offline. When you are paid more than $7 million a year, you do not get a I show up sometimes hall pass. You show up every goddamn game every time and if you if you make double digits you better be one of the best damn players on the ice every single night and if you're not we're going to be having a discussion because Patrick Kane was making i believe close to the equivalent of percentage of salary cap of Marner and Yeah Maddie's it was very similar yeah yeah like Sidney Crosby and Crosby, Crosby Malkin, and Malkin were doing yeah. the same and uh, i believe all four of those players have Conn Smythe trophies. Yeah. Like if Crosby had a bad game, look out because the next game he probably had four points. And it if was the Leafs win a cup, and- I w- you don't see Matthews so, or Marner putting up a 30 point. No, Matthews will be, Matthews actually is but, like But the difference is, is it didn't take Crosby five seasons. Yeah. It took him three. How many did it take? Ovechkin? And he got to the cup final in the second, like the second time. I think the Ovechkin comparable is terrible because they basically redid the whole core around him. Like Kuznetsov was unbelievable. Oshie was sick in that playoff run. Like you go down the line, like a bunch of guys they didn't have before. And Ovechkin was not making $11 million. Yeah, He was making an absurd percentage of the cap for a long run there that decade. Yeah, but right, but guess what? He still scored in the playoffs. It wasn't yeah. his fault that his teammates couldn't show up. Like, that was the thing with Ovechkin was it was never what did, him. Like, What did he was, have, like 40 points that? in his first 28 playoff games or something like that? Like that, it exactly. was roughly around there. Like he was Do you tearing remember it up. the game seven when the Pens and Caps were playing each other and him and Crosby had dueling hat-tricks? Like how yeah. much more I think that was the game six, him? but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, like you can't ask for more from like if you are over a point and a half a game in the playoffs and your team is just ass like that's not your fault my my biggest concern with marner to be honest when it comes to play, like the physical the physical stuff aside is he can't shoot and it just makes him easy so like you want to talk about patrick kane patrick kane is a, a legit goal scorer like marner was scared to shoot the puck in the playoffs like he legitimately i think scared. he had a bit of the yips he did. I'll give him right? I'll give him that. But again, but you make eleven million dollars. I don't care. 
it's it's kind of like old old friend DeMar DeRozan can't shoot playoff time comes it's quite easy to game plan you to me I look at it and I go if you have the opportunity to make your team deeper and better by trading any one of those players you need to do that actually full stop if you have the opportunity to make your team better you need to do that how are you winning a Marner trade though unless you get Jack Eichel in return I just I don't see how you're winning that trade well, would you not say mm-hmm. that Columbus won the Seth Jones trade? Yeah, but they're also not in a better position to win next year, whereas the Leafs need to be in a better position to win in 2021, 22. I know, but that's not the point. Did, it is, though. You can win a star player trade. It's difficult, and usually the team who gets the best player in return wins the trade nine times You're out of ten. correct. But what I'm saying is, is we looked at the market, like we talked about the market with defensemen. If the opportunity is there, no matter where it is in your lineup, it could be for like Justin Hall. I don't care. It could be for Ilya Mikheyev. It could be for Alex Kerfoot. What I'm saying is, is top to bottom, no one should be untouchable. And that's the thing is if you have the opportunity, no matter where it is in your lineup to improve, the correct thing to do is that. And you look at Bill Belichick. He does that in football. I got an opportunity to get better. GTFO. If you have an opportunity, this goes for any sport. You have an opportunity to make your team better and you don't like that's a problem. Masai, I have to trade one of the most beloved Toronto players into Rosen, but it makes my team better. And what that was my point with the Riley trade, right? In that it's you're going to hate it because it's this guy you love. It's a good person. But if it helps your team win and improves your chances of winning a championship, you do it. And that I 100 percent agree with. But if you lose that trade then we have a problem. So I think like you're I not think, trading Morgan Riley for a first round pick and a prospect. No, but I, <laughs> I think they've created an interesting dynamic here and not an ideal dynamic. When So when Ian talks about like, you can't trade them and like get worse on paper, like dilute essentially and like improve. And I think what has happened, I know what has happened to be honest is <laughs> they've created this environment where these guys like it's all on them, right? Like, like there's no other, it's like either you four are going to figure it out with the supporting cast around you, but you're going to lead the charge or like, we're not going anywhere and we're just going to keep losing in circles until you get there. And they have that sense of entitlement because there's basically nothing they can do to get benched. Like they, like they pretty much did not get I don't see that entitlement from JT though. No, not Tavares, but in fairness, he's the one that will play, actively play the least. Like, there was a large stretch of games. I'm like, why is this guy playing him and Nylander, to be honest, where it's like, why is he playing like 15 and I also minutes? Think, like, like, he's playing sick. If we're going to call a spade a spade, we're going to be fair here. The Leafs win that series if Tavares doesn't get hurt. Like, and if that's Montreal my biggest loses problem. their best player, like, they're, they don't even have, a, like, a chance. Yeah. So <laughs> the other point I was going to make about this ice time and this sort of like entitlement and untouchableness, and I think that this is a problem throughout the organization because they've enabled that behavior for years. And now they're like, holy shit, like, what are we going to do to hold their feet to the fire? And really, we say big four, but we really know we're not talking about four. We're really talking about two. And which was interesting because it was reported last week that Ilya Mikheyev requested a trade. And I don't buy it. And I don't know whether he did or not, but I've had a problem with how they've managed those sort of depth players. Because even if Mikheyev has like an, if he blacks out and has like a heater for like two weeks, he won't see. Percentage comes back to earth. Yeah, he won't see a single shift alongside Matthews. Like there will be zero reward. He might not even see a bump in ice time. It'll just be like sweet, like you did it, but like Matthews and Marner got to get their twenty-five a night. And to me, that's the biggest problem of all. Because at some point, you're just not motivating the rest of your lineup. Like, you're pissing off the rest of the team at some point. Like, they are humans. Like, they are going to sit there and say, this is kind of embarrassing. I think there needs to be, like, you don't treat everybody equally. You treat everybody fairly. But to me, in order to do that, everybody needs to be held accountable. Like, like Marner led all forwards in time on ice per game last year. And I just, I I will never get over that. that. Like yeah, that, I don't even want to. I think he led the that. NHL in minutes among forwards. Yeah, man. Like it was like that, but, honestly. And he had a good year, but like Jesus Christ, even on a good year, like he's not the best forward in the league. Yeah. The thing is, when you create 
a culture where not only are these guys getting paid way more than their teammates, but then you're also making them feel like they're less with your actions. I don't care what you say publicly. With your actions, you show them that they do not matter as much. Yeah. Then then nothing matters because they're not going to be motivated. That's how motivation works. Can I quickly so, go down Toronto's cap friendly by forward real quick? 11.6, yeah. 11, 10.9, 6.9, 3.5, 2.5, and now we're in the one and a half range. Okay, it it drops enough. off so Nylander fast. is closer to Kerfoot than he is to Marner. Yeah, that's a thing. That's 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 definitely a thing. Are you fucking kidding? Hey, he's also closer to Kerfoot in minutes than he is to Marner. There's a whole team dynamic there that just really hasn't been like accounted for and like properly built. I know he people hate this, but having firsthand experience with all of the people involved, I get people think Lou Lamorello is archaic as hell. But if you if you just look at the how I hold players accountable. The team it, stuff matters. Everyone hey, shrugs. Like, you accountable you don't to not know giving Marner a rookie bonus, pissing him off and making him want more money. If, man, if you think that had anything to do with it, man, the second he saw Matthew's that. dollar, it was all about ego. I promise yep. you. I yep. was in an arena like this, like literally the day after that deal signed and someone was like, they just fucked themselves with Marner. And if you and know like, anyone what? who knows Paul Marner, you know exactly what that meant. A hundred percent. But so, the thing here is, at the end of the day, there has been a clear, like, it's so clear in how they address the media even and their attitude. It is so clear that the foundation that was put in by Lou in terms of how you treat everybody in the dressing room and everybody working together for the crest is completely gone. Yeah, it's, it's gone. That's out the window now. And, and, and that's the thing is like, you don't have to like, and I don't like it either that the haircuts, the facial hair, this, that, and the other, like, I totally understand that. And I am with everybody on that one. But the one thing that I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with is you never mix the name on the back with the name on the crest. And there's a whole lot of mixing going on. And it's so clear. You know, it was, it was interesting because it's, it's in a similar vein, but I, so I was watching around the horn this week and they were giving Nick Saban shit because they're playing a poor team and he was kind of buttering them up. Nick Saban. <laughs> I know me too. And Nick Saban was basically saying like, hold on, like they're not as bad of a team as you all are saying. And we need to make sure that like we're on it and blah, blah, blah. And the around the horn people were like, this is such a load of shit. Like, you know, you're going to kill them. Like there's no need to like, like butter them up. And you see like, you know, the points go up and everybody nodding along. I'm like, Guys, that's not how teams work in reality. Like Nick Saban's trying to prepare his team. Like, what's he going to do? He's going to walk into the room in front of the guys and be like, these guys suck. Like, like that's not how the no, real the sports whole... world works. It's treat every opponent with respect. Yeah. Like, otherwise you could get, otherwise you have, you have what Manchester United and Young Boys had a couple of days ago. Oh, where don't bring it up. Come on. I'm in a United good got run out of the building. Know. Come on, right? That's what happens. Or you have what Although... happened with Paris Saint Germain and Club Brugge in Champions League, where the front three was Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi, and Neymar, and they drew. What are you doing? Not like there's and, and if you watch that game, PSG got run out of their building. It was <laughs> atrocious. It's always like, well, why do you got to do that? Why do you got to do that? Why do they have to like, you know, lose a bit of their identity to buy into the team? Like it's all bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But there's a level of it that's not like it's really not. It's not the real world. I don't want people to mistake this as me saying like Matthews can't do GQ magazine or Marner can't do Red Bull or Intact commercials or Nylander can't do Sonnet. Like, no, please go ahead and do that. We need marketing and we need personalities. But the second that you walk in those facility doors, your ego is gone and you are a part of the team. And I don't care what GQ commercial you did or what Red Bull commercial you did, what soup commercial you did. 
you play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if I like, I like what the Yankees do. The name bars came off the back of the sweater. Yeah. No, I love that, I love that stuff. With. Did you ever I, see I, the, I think that's archaic. No, I love it. Okay. I'm but you know it. what I mean? It's the name on the front yeah. is more important than the name on the back. And I watched miracle too. Completely okay. Did, did, uh, did you ever watch the George Popovich um, speech at the Tim Duncan Greg jersey retirement? Sorry, Greg Popovich. Yeah, George. <laughs> Who I'm the fuck it. is George? <laughs> you know what, guys? It's been a long day. All right, don't get me started. I've heard my voice way too much today. I think we just lost Ian, too. I think he just tapped out. But the, yeah, you just said, see ya. <laughs> but so there's a moment in where he's talking about Tim Duncan and retiring, and he just says, yes. Tim Duncan was over himself the second that he walked into this gym and his whole illustrious career, he was over himself the entire time. And that's the most complimentary thing I can say about him is he never once had that sort of ego and it was just all about the team and helping themselves win. And I don't know if the Leafs are ever going to hit that point with this core. You know, who's, who's over themselves. Sidney Crosby. (laughs) Sid was over himself. This and and you think about the heat that Sid got. Like I don't think people remember like them losing early in the playoffs. Like remember they got wrecked by Ottawa, and yeah. Sid took so much heat. So this is my thing. There is a absolute difference between what happened with the Leafs and what has been happening with the Leafs and other teams. I. You can yell and scream about Ovechkin not winning a cup until late in his career. And you could say Crosby this, the Penguins lost because Crosby this and Crosby that. If I go and I look at that block score, it tells me that Sidney Crosby and Alice Ovechkin and Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid all participated like fully and contributed to their team. If I look at the box score, Mitch Marner... We'll remove William Nylander this past year. Austin Matthews, John Tavares doesn't count because, like, I thought he was going to die on the ice. Like, there's not a lot of crooked numbers there. And that's the difference is the criticism of McKinnon and Crosby and Malkin and Ovechkin was undeserved because they were actually there and they just had a clown car around them. Crosby was playing with Pascal Dupuis. Why, like, why do I come away watching Leaf games and going William Nylander and uh, Zach Hyman were the best players tonight when there are literally dudes making over a ten million dollars? Like, that's the difference for me is that those the other teams might not have had playoff success, but never once have I heard someone say Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov didn't show up. No. And so, so two things on that one, if one of those guys has a bad game, I'm not entirely convinced they're going to come back the next game and have a good one, but you know, for Sid, like as an example, Sid has a bad game, like he's coming back and like, it's, a, you know, everyone on the other team is looking around in the room. Like it's going to be a shit night. Like Sid's going to light or us like, up. Nikita Gutrov didn't have a point tonight. Next game, three points. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an easy, that's basically a free bet at that point. And I have this other kind of hill that I've I, like, I will absolutely die on. And Ian knows this Ian's laptop crashed, by the way. Uh, I, yeah. Is, he texted yeah. me. He's like, uh, you two are ending like, this show. <laughs> yeah. So this is the Rachel and Anthony show the rest of the way, which well, is fine yeah, because, because we were ganging up on Ian anyway. So, Oh, I think we have oh my God, Ian he's back. Ian has Ian returned. Is, put it for this more... way, Anthony as, as a former co-host of a podcast with Ian, I understand these technical issues. Yeah. Did he ever say your name when you were like talking about the podcast? Because I don't get that. It's basically the Ian podcast with like maybe Anthony the makes Ian an appearance. Podcast. Yeah. So once in a while I get like a shout out at best. It's so, the Peter Daniel podcast, right but instead it's the Ian Tulloch podcast. Yeah. yeah. What do you think and Adam Wilde and Jesse Blake feel? They're not yeah. in the title. I'm, you know? I'm yeah. <laughs> Compare yourself to that one more time, Ian. Like one yeah. more time, honestly. Like so Anyways, what I was going to say is I have this hill that I will die on with these guys is I think the Leafs have to make them a little bit more uncomfortable in the regular season in the course of play. I think they make their life a little bit too easy. I think they sit there and Marner goes, yeah, I'm sick. I have 100 points because I passed Matthews the puck 60 times and like he buried. Like if you're sick. 90 even uh, without Matthews. If 
But then perfect, go do it. If you're sick, go play with Kerfoot and Micaiah for 20 games and let's see what's up. Like, let's see you dig in and produce. But instead, I think he sits there and he's like, oh man, I've had a few bad games. I just need to make sure I set up Matthews a little bit more. I had this conversation with someone actually like a few days ago and it was just like a crazy hypothetical. And it actually made me think, and I'm I'm actually kind of happy you brought it up because it got my wheels spinning again. All of this, like Matthews, Marner, da-da-da-da-da. Does Matthews score 40 goals without Mitch Marner? Just yes or no? Yes. Yes. Does Marner get 90 points playing with Clayton Keller and whomever else in Arizona? If it's no. someone who can shoot the puck in the net, I think the no. answer is much closer to yes than you think it is. Okay, no. but you were pretty emphatic about Matthews and you said yes. If he has like Johnny Gaudreau's line mates, like if you swapped him for Johnny Gaudreau, is he getting 90 points? I would say no. I think Matthews is the second or third best player in the world, and I think Marner's like the 20th. I think that, like, we see every year, we see Matthews get better. Like, I, Ian and I yeah. have had these conversations a ton. Like, Ian and I were very critical of his defensive play, and yeah. that was, like, much improved. Shying and, away from puck battles, whereas he led the league in puck battles this year. But, right. He was physical this year. Then you look at, like, because I am was, like, a part of this for a very long time, like, he remakes his shot every summer. He couldn't do it this summer because of his wrist. Now he's got wrist surgery. So I actually think he's going to have a bit of a down year. Um, Why that's did kind he of wait so long? Prediction. It was uh, not his choice, is okay. all I'll say. Interesting. Um. But, like, you see tangibly, okay, this is a criticism of Matthews. And if it's a criticism publicly, it's probably a criticism privately based on how Sheldon Keefe operates, right? Matthews, you need to get better defensively. You need to be more physical and use your body. Boom, done. Matthews, you need to score different ways. Oh, okay, now I'm tipping pucks and scoring at the net front. Like, tangibly, every year we've seen Matthews take a step. I think that we didn't really see it in the early part of Nylander's stint with the Leafs we have seen it lately where he's taken legitimate tangible steps forward he's much better defensively he's much better at the net front now like he's one of the best in the league at the net front um they need to give him a bigger role they need to reward him for the fact that he's made these improvements in his game so who's the player I haven't named yet so Mitch Marner played great defensively he's maybe their best penalty killer at least among I think he is yeah, but I think your argument is that he hasn't improved his shot. And especially on the power play, those one-timers from the top of the circle aren't going anywhere. So if you don't want to improve, and this is the thing is, if Mitch Martin doesn't want to improve his shot, I mean, I don't think it's fine because, again, you get paid $11 million. It's not fine. But then you are playing not in a shooting spot on the power play because that spot now belongs to William Nylander. And you can play at the bottom of the umbrella and facilitate because your strength is passing. And you got to be careful commenting on this because last time I did, I got in big trouble. But what's the issue here? Why isn't that happening? I'm also I'm not commenting on that because it's we've been saying it the whole time. The inmates run the asylum. Like it's just obvious. It's very obvious. Like you just watch. I'll let you say it, but I yeah. The inmates run the asylum. It's 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 no secret. And totally agree with Ian and you, Anthony, like that spot, that shooting spot on the half wall should belong yeah. to William Nylander. And the other side belongs to Matthews because Nylander can pass. Minor in the middle. He can't yes. shoot. He can't bury like point, but like he'll tip in a yeah, puck off here and there. But, but Mark Shifley doesn't shoot the puck particularly well. And he's a really good bumper player because he can facilitate. Making little one touch passes through the legs, like ways Marner could get creative with it. Exactly. I think he could be super good in the bumper, but to me, like I look at how some of the better players, some of the better passers play. And like, you look at how Patrick Kane uses the goal line and like, it's absolutely fantastic. Patrick Kane has a better backhand. Johnny Gaudreau. The way Johnny Gaudreau uses below the goal line is an avenue for passing. You know what? Johnny Gaudreau is a great example. Exactly. So I think that you need to leverage strengths. And it doesn't matter. You know what? Obviously, Matthews is a fantastic shooter. He's not as good of a passer as Mitch Marner is. So you need to leverage those strengths and not try and be something that you are not. And this goes for anybody in the NHL. It doesn't just go for the Leafs. It goes for anyone. This is life. If if Jake Muzzin was trying to run a power play like Kale McCarr, I would be rather concerned. 
You know what I mean? Like you just don't have that. Like if Tyler Myers started trying to do what Quinn Hughes is doing, I would probably have an issue with that. Or even an even better example, you have Jack Hughes in New Jersey. This is another guy. He doesn't shoot the puck particularly well, but he passes exceedingly well. You have Nico Heischer in the middle and that pass goes through. You have good shooter. You have a guy who can get the puck through at the point. You have, you had Kyle Palmieri who could really shoot the puck and they're put in spots to succeed. We're not going to get into Jack Hughes because that's a whole different situation. But what I'm saying here is I like Anthony's situation of like, make them uncomfortable. And to do that, you say, we're going to play you at your strengths. You might not want to play here. Like I remember Taylor Hall was like, I do not want to play this spot on the power play. And me and John Hines would be like, well, this is how good you are when you do. And then he was like, okay, I'll do it. He didn't like it, but I do believe he won a heart trophy when he did it. And this is my thought with Marner. Can you leverage his elite passing ability and get him to distribute to Matthews, to Nylander, to Tavares, get those guys in good shooting positions? Because I really think he has to be on board. It's not a question of if he can do it. Of course he can do it. It's it's the other stuff. Like, and that's ultimately the end. And Ian knows because I've I've brought up this comparison to him before, but I I kind of equate it to Michael Jordan on the Bulls. And if you hear about their practices, like Phil Jackson would put, Michael Jordan with like four bench guys and be like, play the starters. And then if they were winning, he would make Jordan switch teams. And you know, if they were, if he was up like 10, six and it was first to 11, he'd be like, all right, Jordan switch teams and see if you can come back. Like he didn't make his one life day Jordan easy. Stormed out of practice. Cause he was yeah. mad at how unfair it was, but that but, was the whole point. Make him. Uncomfortable. But did, but did Phil sit there and pat him on the ass and say like, play with Scotty and just run a train. But no. it's a personality thing he too, went, though. I don't think Matthews has the same type the, of personality as Michael Jordan does. Matthews is super competitive. I don't think that they push I, it enough. Yeah. I've seen him engage in battles where I'm like, this guy's getting after it. And he actually showed quite a bit this year when guys got physical with him. Like he didn't fold up shop and call it a day. Like I would say that Nylander is probably the most competitive of the three. Like in the gym, like fit. So the least are going to have fitness testing. He's a now that Zach Hyman's not with the team, I would be yeah. legit shocked if Nylander didn't win the fitness test. And he, like, I keep being told that he's he finishes, like, in the top three every single year, and he is legit mad when people beat him. I want to contextualize some of this because I think it's important because it's always, like, why does it go back to this well? Well, the reason it goes back to this well is because the Leafs went back to this well. They decided we're going to live or die by these, by these guys. So... They've framed it that way. And I do think they've had a reasonable offseason. I think they've like brought in some like reasonable depth. Their defense is still intact. They look okay in net. Like all that stuff is fine. None of it matters if their best <laughs> players don't play well. Like at the end of the day, like that's always really... gonna be the case. Yeah. You want to win a cup, your best two so, or three players are gonna have to be awesome. So, so there's no point of us like just sitting here being like, well, where's Nick Ritchie fit best? Who gives a shit? Like, honestly, it does not matter. <laughs> yeah. It literally doesn't change anything. Preferably so, not PP1, but uh, that's another conversation and, for another but day. But no, and, you're, Anthony, like, it's such a fantastic point. Because, like, I if Nick Ritchie could score five goals in a playoff series, and if Matthews, Marner, and Nylander get two points combined, like, they're not winning Kerf- the series. Kerfoot was good in the playoffs. <laughs> I don't even Kerfoot like him, was, but he was Kerfoot good. had the best two not matter. life in the playoffs. And it does not matter. I know, they should have traded him. <laughs> Yeah, that I think this is an important point to circle back though. They really need to try to challenge these guys in different ways throughout the season. I just think it's a really it's a really strategic mistake if they sit there and say, like, we're gonna just trot out the same shit, like Matthews and Marner attached to the hip for 82 and they're gonna play 24 a night, and then let's just see if things are different in the playoffs. I think that's an insane way to approach it. I think they need to sit there and say, How are we gonna make these guys uncomfortable? And potentially put them in some situations where they're maybe not set up for failure, but they're going to have to do a little extra for success. And let's see them try to fight through it. Rachel, what's your thought? And I just just thought about this and I'm like, are they going to think I'm insane for saying this? So we talk about (laughs) ice time and like how, like, and I study like how you can be fatigued. And like, we kind of did like a little bit of like a project on it over the summer on like players fatigue and like if they get overplayed um that kind of thing what if we have concerns about toronto's depth in terms of their ability to play like lines they don't have a third line yeah Yeah, so what if you say matthews marner and Tavares all have to play on separate lines 
And instead of having line one, two, and three, let's say you call it 1A, best 1B, and two kind of thing. And instead of playing the top two lines or whatever for like 22 minutes a night, now you have one, two, and three, and you have the opportunity to have those guys make everybody better, but then they're also playing less. And then they can you can all have your fun on special teams. That's when you get to play together. But Marner, you're going to drive a line. JT and Nylander, you're going to drive a line. And Matthews, you're going to drive a line. And we're going to play you guys each 17 minutes a night. And then the fourth line is going to play whatever's left of that five on five. But then you at least give each, first of all, that is a nightmare for defensive matchups because then you've yeah. always got somebody on the ice. But then you're also looking at fatigue and you make them uncomfortable. Like you said, hey, you got to drive your own shit now. I, I think it's a really good idea. I don't think it's crazy at all, especially when you look at the way this roster is constructed. If you look at any historic cup contender, they've been three lines deep. So if you want to contend in the playoffs, you need three lines. Unless you're acquiring a star player at the deadline, I don't see how you do it unless you split up these guys. Now, I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to end up going with a, a loaded top six, a defensive third line, and an offensive fourth line. That seems to be the way things are set up. But I agree with you, Rachel. I, I think the way yeah. that you drive results is by having a star player on the ice. Part of the like, reason I love the did... 11-7 setup is that you, you just have a star player there. On the fourth line, oh, Matthews gets an extra shift. Tavares gets an extra shift. Martiner gets an extra shift. Nylander gets an extra shift. I just want my star so, players on the ice all the time. What if you did something like this, where you have like Matthews playing with Mikheyev, because Mikheyev can go and get the puck, um, and, Kasha. and somebody else. And, and the, Kasha, I like and, that. And may, yeah, and maybe Kasha. And then you have Nylander, Tavares, Nick Ritchie. But then you're like the third set is. Marner Robertson because Robertson shoots the puck and Matt and uh Marner passes the puck and then you have a third line guy Kerfoot, in there it maybe it's Kerfoot be, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. so maybe you do that but then at least you're capitalizing on the fact that Nick Robertson will shoot the puck and go get the puck Alex Kerfoot would be that in that the crazy? what do you mean together on a line together Nylander at center we hate that yeah I don't love that I don't think it puts him in a position to succeed Nylander left wing, Marner right wing. I'm okay with trying Nylander at center, but they have to actually give him good wingers. They can't. Well, they can't do what he did I to think him Marner against Columbus. And Robertson though should be a pairing because of the whole shoot factor thing. Like, I like that. Nylander idea. is a dual threat. He can shoot and pass. Whereas like Matthews is like all shoot and Marner is all pass. So I think if you have somebody like Robertson who could be another sniper for you then capitalize and put him in a position to succeed with Marner. And then you capitalize on Marner's talents with the passing. So you've got something there. Then you've got your Tavares Nylander. We know that works, or you could play Matthew Nylander and you have them with Richie. Who's a guy who can go get the puck, could bang and crash like that kind of thing. And then you do McKay of Matthews, Kasha, whatever the case may be. But I think if you do like some combo of those nine, you've really got something there. So I don't want to get into a huge fight with you before we end, because I know you got a show to watch and a friend coming over. But there's no, like, unless he has an unbelievable preseason, and probably even then, there's just no way I would start Robertson in the in the NHL. Like, and I, go, yeah, go play in the A and up. be a pro. And the second point I'll say to that is, you sign Bunting to give him a chance. I think especially if you split up all three guys, like you split up three guys for three lines, like give Bunting a real chance. If you're going to do it, yep. and they, they seem to think he's, but basically the same thing as what you said. Just I would use so just bunting take Robertson and, out and put bunting there. Yeah. That's fine with much. me. Yeah. You know what? Like, I'm as someone who studies development, I am like, never opposed to sending yeah. a guy back to the AHL. I, so you start Nick Robertson in the A, he could do his thing. Let him go point per then, game and then in, in December, January, February, yeah. call him up, see what he yeah. can do in the top nine. Yeah, or go like be a pro. Gonna, when someone gets hurt that's yeah. who goes in the lineup right yeah and he goes in he does not play on the fourth line so you know what actually anthony i agree with you maybe like put bunting there i actually forgot they signed him because that- there was a guy as you were saying and i was yeah, like there's maybe- someone in my mind that i'm forgetting that's yeah. on this team you know so- who haven't so brought put- up who i think is better than almost half these guys jason spezza never gets moved up the lineup and he led the team I in points per 60 last Spetsa. year he led the team <laughs> in points him. per 60 at five on five I- and at five on four the dude every time he was on the ice was contributed to the puck going in the net and he never got to play with anyone. He played to with me, the team play scrubs. him with Matthews. Yeah. Play him they, with Matthews. 
I think even with Tavares, I think they'd actually be quite good together, like Tavares and Spezza. He would, he, Spezza would be a good example, and he's just a vet that wants to win, so he's not going to be as vocal as a guy like Mikheyev who's still trying to get paid. But Spezza would black out some games. I think the game that he had a hat trick, he only played like eight minutes. It hits a point where like, if he's playing really well, play him more. But it didn't matter Please. if he was playing really well. Remember how we talked about like making guys uncomfortable? Yeah. If you look at Spezza's career trajectory. Like this guy is a superstar. Like yeah, he ex- ruined beliefs in my early childhood. Him the fake slap shot, him. walk around the uh, goalie goal. Just exactly. you get around Sheldon Surrey, three a year. So now what he penalty kills, wins faceoffs, and he can play on the fourth line because he was made uncomfortable. But you don't just like lose that talent and you certainly no. never like the one thing we know you lose skating we know you lose like your endurance your old man body breaks down you never lose your brain and your ability to read the game and that was his like number one strength so for me like i totally if we're going to talk about like being uncomfortable there's a fantastic example of someone who was able to adapt but still has all these other skills so yeah move them up move them down like you can do all that stuff and maybe it motivates guys. I'm realizing how fun this is to just play around with the lines and to be like, okay, what if we move this guy here and that guy there? Can we actually get something out of it? The tough thing that I will give the Leafs, I think this is one we talked about if Tavares was healthy and I would also include Nick Foligno, which if a normal healthy Nick Foligno would have been a help for them in the playoff run. The one thing I'll give them is there was very few times throughout last season where I was like, Marner and Matthews are actively playing like shit. Like well, there were the times season, they were unreal right and, season, they were incredible. and that makes again, it tough because I it, don't care. I know that <laughs> make, but what the reason I, I bring it up is it makes it tough to sit them. If they're like, we're playing sick, like we're holding up our end of the bargain this year though, I think is going to be a different story because one, they're not going to be in a brutal division anymore. Like they're going to be in a real division against real teams. Like those guys have you, some stinkers. You actually have to play Tampa. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, Florida is good. Florida like, got better. Oh my like, god, Florida's gonna be so good. They're due for some stinkers against those teams. And if I was Keith, like honestly, in my I wouldn't tell anybody other than my other like coaching staff. But I'd be hunting. I would just be like the second that you could sit one of them, the second that you could dump one of them on a third or fourth line. Like he has to be aggressive. You want to go it. back into the Babcock days of putting Marner on the fourth. But line. no, at some point you just have to sit there and say like, you're not playing well enough. You can go take a seat and you have to kind of like take control of your team a little bit and just say like, I'm going with the guys that are rolling. I don't care how much you make. I don't care like what you've done previously. I'm trying to win a hockey game. And I think they've really lacked that. And like he has a more of an opportunity now to hunt it. I think he was in almost ways that were detrimental. Like he was handcuffed a little bit last year because the division was just so bad and it was bad, but this year is a different story. And I think he has to be a little bit more aggressive on that because there was never a time. I think, I think Marner played under 20 minutes, like once last year. That's crazy. All right. I think we're circling the same conversations here and I know Rachel has to get out of here, so we will leave. But before we go, Rachel, can you plug some stuff? What work are you doing right now? Where can people check you out? Um, the Staff and Graph podcast is like the main bread and butter. Um, that's pretty much like the only place I am right now. I'm, I'm doing some scouting, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my master's, which ironically focuses on inefficiencies in asset management and player development. And so, Ayo. yeah, we'll see. But uh, I don't Is know. Is there how a much section on own rentals? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know yet. Um, because we Rachel, have to, like, if not, like, I don't know what you're the doing. If there's not a section on own rentals. I did a paper on Hockey Sense um, and like how it can be quantified. Because I was like super sick and tired of people yelling about that. Um, but yeah, staff and graph podcast on Twitter at Rachel Dory, um, pretty simple stuff, but you're also going to get like soccer content if you're there. And I will regularly tweet about getting vaccinated. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Rachel. That was awesome. Me and Anthony will be back next week. There's actual leaf stuff going down soon. Check out rookie camp development camp, baby. Yeah. As Michael Scott would say, (laughs) I am ready to get hurt again. Let's go. Bring it on, baby. 2021-2022 Leaf season. Let's go. Gear up, folks. Everyone is looking at me. Time is running out.
we're down by three Look inside yourself, what do you see? 